You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay, and in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hadfield. I'm joined today by Greg Miller. Hi. Colin Moyarty. Yeah. And Steve Butts. Hello. And today's topic, very interesting topic, comes to it from our viewer, James Marsh, who asks, are games getting better? He says, I say yes, but I know a lot of people would say no. Is the industry doing better things today or just different? How hard do you think James Marsh's life is with a name like Marsh? <laughs> uh, listen, they, they can call him Marshmallow. They can call him and say, "Go back down to the marshes." He gets zero sympathy from me on this Steve subject, as you, as you well know. Right? Games have been around for what forty years now, almost forty years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Are they better now than then? Do they get better over time? Yes. This is the best time to be a gamer. Whoa. Done, Huge. Period. Better than 2000. Now the problem is in 10 years, I'm going to say that again too. Yeah, so maybe right. you should explain why you said I think, I mean, so like a game, a big game this year, The Last of Us, right. is better than Super Mario Brothers? Well, now, now you're going literally title to title. He was talking about games in general. Are games okay. better? Okay. It's, okay. Gaming is better right now. It's the best it's ever been. And I compare it to the movie industry, right? The, the fact that the movie industry, you look back at the old silent films before we got the talkies, as they call them. <laughs> and you know, you look back and you want to be, you're like, this Charlie Chaplin, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. This isn't good. Can't but hear him anyway. You oh, compare that to Pacific Rim. Woo! Do you think movies get better over time? <laughs> I think I, I think in a lot of ways the movie industry is not plateaued, but they've gotten to what they are. This is what movies are, right? We understand what a movie is and how it's going to be and what that term is and how it exists. Well, I mean, we don't call the motion pictures we watch now mo talkies anymore, right? There was a big jump there, but we still do all this stuff where there's like the, the talking was a big deal. Like, yeah. oh, they can talk now, so that's what you focus on. I think the issue is we're defining this term better in a couple of different ways. 
Like technologically, obviously. And I think the movie analogy is perfectly appropriate, right? Like yeah. the technology to make movies is considerably better today. And we are now in a position in 2013 where the technology we're using to make games is hundreds if not thousands of times better than the technology we were using in 1982. My problem with this question is I don't know that the quality of our storytelling or the quality of our experiences is also a hundred to a thousand times better. So I think new technology doesn't necessarily mean a new experience, it just means a new opportunity to screw it up in the same old ways. Mm, interesting. Colin, what do you think? I don't know, I, I, think, I think the potential for games to be better now exists, right? Like, and I think that The Last of Us is a great example of a game that marries really fun, I think, stealth kind of combat gameplay with like a really, probably one of the best stories ever told in games, I think. Um, and great voice acting and, and, and all that stuff. But when I think about like the archetypical game, like the, the, the games that really matter, like think about Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man, right? Like in terms of pure gameplay, in terms of pure fun, like that game is almost unbeatable by most other games, like even though it's really old. Like that game, mm -hmm. like that formula, even sure. though it's very simple and static, is just really good as a game. It's not telling you a story, really, except for those little things where they're chasing each other around. It's just like you're playing it, right? You're <laughs> playing it. They fall in love and they have yeah, a baby. That's Miss Pac-Man. Yeah. You know, you know, they meet. <laughs> like, a good example I think of, and, and, and I talk about this game every once in a while on, on Podcast Beyond, is Castlevania 3, which is an NES game, and probably one of the best NES games. Right. And what that game really did for me, which games can't do now, is it really invoked imagination. Games almost give you too much now in some ways, and sometimes you want it, like in The Last of Us, and sometimes you don't. And what I mean by that is, Castlevania 3 had really great core gameplay. It felt like a Castlevania game. Castlevania games are, are hard and grueling and, and, and fun in that sense. But the 8-bit aesthetic kind of invokes something in your imagination where like you're in this castle, you're in this town, you're kind of going through the castle and getting closer to Dracula, but you're using your imagination about what you've seen and where you've been and what you're hearing and kind of putting yourself into that place where the games kind of do that for you now, if that makes any sense. And I feel like imagination's kind of, my imagination's kind of been ripped out of games as a result of the progress that games have made in terms of technology, but at the same time, um, I think the potential to make all sorts of great games, uh, I mean, look at Mega Man 9 and 10 when they came out, those are built on aesthetics and, and, uh, and on engines from the 80s or whatever, but they're still fun today, you know? So I, I just think that like, there's just more now. I think there's a certain level of abstraction in those old characters that makes it easier to identify with them, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at somebody like Pac-Man, and it's very easy for me to look at Pac-Man and play that character and inhabit it Whereas I look at somebody like Solid Snake, this photorealistic character who doesn't look at all like me, that's another person. And so there's this extra step I have to go through, this extra effort I have to make to identify with this person and invest myself emotionally in their identity. Would, I mean, would you agree? I mean, Scott McCloud says in his book, Understanding Comics, you know, like the more realistic a face gets, the harder it is to identify with them, which is why cartoons are more popular sometimes with kids, because it's easy for them to lose themselves in that character. See, you're talking about the fact that, you know, you don't know if storytelling has gone that far, or the emotion connection right. it has. For me, it has. Like the, what I always reference is that you know I was grew up on gaming, loved loved games, believe it or not, kind of like these video games. Cool. And in high school, I remember a distinct thing where I was kind of falling out. I was like looking around, like we were playing goofy games on the N sixty four, and it was like, all right, but this wasn't what I wanted. And then I got a PS one for a wrestling game, and then I ended up playing Metal Gear Solid, right? And that was the light bulb moment, the lightning strike of like. This is where it's going. That the, the, it's going to be able to tell me stories that are going to get me wrapped up and get me lost in what they actually want. I'm totally with you on the fact that you, you know you used to play video games and they'd be little sprites and you'd make up your own story for that yeah. person, your own backstory for what they were feeling because they weren't telling you. You were able to do that. But now you look around, I think, and it's the fact that the market is so diverse. The fact that we're in an industry where no matter what you feel like playing, you can find that game right now and go get it. I think that's really powerful. And I think the fact that there can be a game like The Walking Dead, uh, you know, Telltale's, where it is, you know, I just want to have this adventure game, but really all it is is a conversation simulator. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really at any point am I like, 
oh, well, what am I going to do? Like, yeah, it's like you get that moment and you have to decide and then try to weigh that. Okay, well, now they're mad at me. How does that play? I think that's really cool and really empowering. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think the presentation in something like Walking Dead is great, and it, it makes it okay that the mechanics in that game aren't so hard. right, you right, know, right, right. You don't and that, and see, that's that. when we start getting down to right. Is like you said, is Game X better than Super Mario? And it's like that's when it starts to get to like Super Mario Brothers yeah. controls so well and plays so well, and it's so much fun to run through and go through. But then again, there's something like Journey, right, where it is left to your interpretation of I'm this thing. I'm a carpet man out in the, out, out in the yeah. desert, and what does all this mean? What, man. What's my journey? Title. But yeah, the, the player is sort of asked to participate more in sort of building an emotional or narrative context for that story. And I feel like sometimes when we get to this, this point where photorealism is kind of held up as this ideal goal for every game, we lose some of that. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it, to, me, to me, at a certain point, that becomes distracting. And maybe I'm not having as much fun participating in the mechanics sure. and building in my own imagination the cool context, like I would with like, like you look at the older version of The Sims on PC, right? The graphics are really low tech, but because of my interaction with it, I fill in the blanks myself. And you don't do that as much with the new one where it's like, oh, look at all the expressions our characters have. It's like, I don't care. Like, I'm you're totally missing the you. point of the That's, game yeah. for me. For me in SimCity 2000, yeah. I made up, you know, what was happening and I totally was the mayor and I, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you play the new one, right? And it is like, you click on a person and it tells you where they're going and what's happening and like, that's awesome. That's awesome techno- techno- technologically wise. But like, I'd love to sit back sometimes and just get lost in that old feeling. And maybe there's an analog there with like the, the idea that a horror movie can sometimes be scarier by not showing sure. you the thing. Mm-hmm. You know. I wonder if 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 our games getting better is the wrong question. Because I would I would argue that ultimately any game is only judged by how much fun it is. Mm. Right. That's that's why we play them. No matter how good the graphics are or how innovative the online features are, they're supposed to be fun and enjoyable. So is the question: Are games getting more fun? Our game's more fun today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be the question. I mean, and, and in that sense, like, I think, I think games are more immersive now, and like we've been saying, like, more of an experience. Like, like Fallout 3 is a great example, right? Or New Vegas. Like, you, you walk out of the vault into this world, and you just do whatever you want, right? For as long as you really want to do it. And there's quests and side quests and people to meet and monsters to kill and stuff. But, like, you're in this world with, like, parameters, and you just do whatever you want. Games have always been that, but they've just been presented in different ways. And really, when I think about games as gameplay, like when gameplay is king, I always say that. Like when we harken back to the days when game, there was no excuses for a game not playing well, because there was nothing around it to kind of make it better. Like Fallout, Fallout 3 doesn't play exceptionally well, right? I mean, there, there's a, there's yeah. a system there's a system in in there that's that is designed specifically because the shooting is not good. Right? <laughs> like you couldn't, but you couldn't make that excuse back with Ninja Gaiden on, on NES. Like right. when I pick that game up and I play it, I'm like, God damn, this game is good. Yeah. This game is still really, really good and really hard. And you and, but we kind of dismiss it. First of all, there's a whole generation of people below us now that like have never even experienced these games. They don't have that kind of context. And second of all, I think. What playing a game, I guess what I'm saying, what playing a game means is just different now because it's more of an experience. Like when I jump into Skyrim or, or something like that, like you're, you're like, I'm going to spend 100 hours with this game. If you spend 100 hours with Ninja Gaiden and you're really good at it, you're going to play the game 100 times. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And so You're not even going to be close on Skyrim with 100 no, hours. No, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, and, and so like, I just think games are different. I keep going back like Arkanoid or Pac-Man or like these games that are just, in terms of pure gameplay, are just fun. Mario's a great example too, especially Mario 3 or Super Mario World. Like, those games in terms of feel, in terms of platforming, in terms of just gameplay and, and just fun factor, like, those games are hard to beat still today, you know? There's very few games where even the games I really have a soft spot for, like, really action games like Vanquish or something, no, that game's not as good as Mario. You know, of course not. Mm. It's funny because I feel like a lot of those old games, the context came through the mechanics. 
even a game like Madden or whatever, like like the whole story, the whole narrative, the whole emotional side of that game is just the rules of the game that you engage with, right? And I feel like a lot of those haven't changed, but what we've done is we've built on these layers of added presentation, where like, oh, it looks super gritty, and like, look at all these little details, and there's a little tiny like piece of paper on this desk over here, and isn't that interesting that I can go look at that? Or Lee says, I don't need to use that right now. And it's like, that's cool that <laughs> the character will takes, remember that. <laughs> takes note of that. Um, but I don't know that I I don't know that I'm as as engaged in that, and so I feel like where games have gotten better is when we've gotten away from this idea of genre based development, where it's like I want to make a shooter or I want to make an MMO or I want to make a strategy game. Because back in the day, it used to be I want to make a game about a pirate or I want to make a game where you're, I'm a city planner, and like like the like the wish fulfillment was the motivating factor for creating the gameplay, and because of that, the gameplay created the context for that wish fulfillment, and I feel like. We're getting we're getting back to that now with games like you know uh, the the Batman Arkham games or Red Dead where it's like we're not really hung up on the genre classification. What we want to do is make a cool cowboy simulator or a cool Batman simulator. Yeah. And I feel like in that sense, I feel like games have gotten better, but that's a clear case where the gameplay mechanics are in line with what they're trying to do uh, narratively or emotionally with the game. Mm. Yeah, I, I I agree with the point specifically that you know I guess what we're beating around the bush in a sense is. Games started with gameplay, right? Like there, there was just the game right. to play. Like when you think about the oscilloscope games that they used to make, like at you know, at like national laboratories in the in the you know, 50s. I remember 60s. them well. Yeah. Well, like those were, those were really the first games, and like there was no story. It was right. like this is an oscilloscope, and like we're gonna have a ball bouncing around and stuff. And then like Pong was just like I'm gonna bounce a ball back and forth, and we saw this slow evolution of games being able to do more than just play them. You know, mm -hmm. like you like. By the time we even got to a game like Castlevania 3, like there was story in that game. There's a whole intro sequence and it sets the stage and stuff. And now we, we jump forward to a game like The Last of Us, which is unparalleled in terms of presentation value in this industry. Nothing's ever been like that. Nothing's ever been that good in terms of presentation before. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we're, like, the gameplay is kind of getting buried underneath everything else. And what you have to kind of discover is, if, is, is there gameplay there that you like that, that that's worth kind of getting around everything else, or are you there for other reasons, like you are with Fallout? Because I certainly wasn't in Fallout 3 for the gameplay, i got to be honest with you. I was there because, like, this is awesome, and it's a story, and there's an environment for me to explore. I'm not there for the gameplay, and so I think the question is a little misleading in the sense that we're looking for different things now, and the good news about the industry today is that you can have basically everything you want, you know, yeah, and it's just only sure. going to get better. That's yeah. the thing, yeah. yeah. I, I tend to agree with you guys that it just kind of gets better and better to be a gamer. Yeah. I wouldn't say that video games themselves are getting better, um, any more than I would say that music is better. Like, like who could argue that music is, you know, today's music is better than Bach or Beethoven or right, Mozart, right? right? right but right, it's different, right, right. Yeah. and we don't lose anything that came before, right? So everything exactly. just gets better and better. Yep. It's a very interesting topic. It is. Thank you for suggesting it, James Marsh. Viewers, if you have your own questions, you can always reach us at gamescoop at IGN.com. Stay tuned for more video game discussions right here on Gamescoop. The Marshman, they call him. <laughs> Living in the marsh, eating the marshmallows. What do you know, James? Nerd. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. I'm joined now by Justin Davis. Scoop! Ryan McCaffrey. Howdy. And Greg Miller. Scoop! The top three articles on IGN this week are... Number one, PlayStation 4 operates at lower temperature than PlayStation 3. You got more to pre-order it. pre-order right now. More people read that story on IGN this week than anything else. They're really interested in the operating temperature that of their content. Number two, the top 25 animated series for adults. Ah, the, great feature. And number three, why Steam trading cards should embarrass Microsoft and Sony 
written by our own Justin P. Hey, Davis. Justin Davis. <laughs> Justin Plinkus Davis. Give us the uh, Cliff Notes version of your article. Summarize it for us. Uh, sure. So Steam came out with Steam trading cards, mm -hmm. and by playing Steam games, you will get card drops randomly, and they're added to your Steam inventory. If you collect all the cards for a game, you're able to redeem them and get rewards, things like profile backgrounds that are related to that game, or like if you played a lot of Super Meat Boy, you might get like a Meat Boy emoticon that you could use in the nice. Steam chat. The rewards are mostly silly, but what I think is really impressive about them is A, they're giving something away that Sony and Microsoft like to charge for, you know, mm -hmm. little digital trinkets. Um, but B, if you don't care about this stuff at all, you can sell it to other players. So I sold an emoticon for like 40 cents the other night, and you can sell all your trading cards as well. Like they have this elaborate marketplace. So, Ryan and Greg, do you agree with Justin that should Sony and Microsoft be embarrassed no. by this? It's way too strong language. <laughs> I, I mean, that, but on IGN? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trolling us again, are you IGN? No, I, I think, I mean, they should definitely take note and they will. I mean, this, that's, I mean, first off, Steam's been way ahead of the curve forever. Yeah, like, right. that's the whole thing. They've yeah. been take, Sony takes all their digital cues from uh, Steam. But it's the same thing with, like, you know, I don't think that they should be embarrassed because it's not like Steam's been doing this for years. Sure. They just started doing it. They just figured it out, and now they are going to be copied, guaranteed. The same way that trophies copy achievements. Yeah, I think Sony and Microsoft ha are more than happy to let Valve test the waters and pave and the they, way, they and they then they'll swoop in and put some fancy name on it. And look at this cool new thing we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I mean, and that was, if I were, I'm very happy with that article. I stand by it. If there were something I would have changed or would have liked to have thought a little bit more about is I don't mention that Sony has tested the waters a little bit with the trophies, what was it called, Greatness? Yeah, the, Greatness Awaits campaign they just so, did. And that's not a permanent thing, but on a temporary basis, based on your trophy level, you could win you know, things that were in the yeah, commercial. Yeah, basically they did the Greatness Awaits ad with all these different references, and then they took all the costumes from that, put them on a website, and you could bid based on the gold trophies you had on your right. profile. That plus Microsoft, although they do charge for lots of silly avatar items, you can get, like, if you get an achievement in a game, you might get a right. profile picture yeah, or something like that. Yeah, they have unlockables free. now, yeah. yeah and my profile picture is actually a Pac-Man ghost from Pac-Man CE that, you know, was I got nice. free for playing the game. Well, that was... Pac-Man CE was like so 2007, good. so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that purple ghost. And so I don't mention those in the article, so in the interest of fairness, yeah, I mean, if I... I those probably should have been at least brought up in some way. But the reason I say that Microsoft and Sony should be embarrassed, instead of the headline being why Steam trading cards are great, is because in researching the article, like I'm like, well, I need to make sure I'm like really buttoned up on what you know, Microsoft and Sony are up to. And I have this really elaborate, really consumer-friendly Steam system that works. It's great. It's fun to participate in. If you don't care about it, you can make a little bit of dough for yourself. And then I go to the Avatar Marketplace, and they're selling a Turbo Racing League shirt for a dollar. So that you can advertise yeah, their product. So pay yeah, us yeah, a dollar yeah. to have this shirt that no one would even want to wear in real life, unless, <laughs> you know, maybe a little kid loves that movie. Yeah. But it's just, it just, like, I, it made me cringe. I'm like, it makes them look behind the times. Like, but again, it's behind the times by a week. <laughs> a, a few days. And I, think, I, think, sure. I think that's the whole point. When somebody comes out and changes stuff, makes a great point, then the industry reacts, yeah. especially right now with a new console cycle about to begin. I mean, I think I give Sony a little bit more of a pass. The reason that uh, you know I feel like Microsoft should maybe you know be thumped for this a little bit more is these are things they were talking about in 2005 with Velocity Girl. Like when I well, bring this, remind us of this. What right. Like this? I'm surprised how many people don't remember this because to me, I guess I was at that press conference and so we could forget. I was going to say the hit Velocity Girl. How could we forget? So this is before the Xbox 360 came out. They were talking about the Xbox Marketplace, and now the Marketplace seems 
commonplace, right? Like everyone buys everything sure. from it, it's normal. But before the 360 came out, when you're coming from the original Xbox, like that was a what big... What is this yeah, magic? Every game's gonna have a demo? And, like, that was a big deal. And so the, the Velocity Girl was some hypothetical gamer that might not even play games, but like for a skateboarding game, she might she would make, design graphics, she might yeah. design skateboards or even design whole skate parks and then sell those to people. That, mm. that did sort of come to fruition, but only in one franchise, Forza. Forza yeah. yeah, with the with the paint schemes that people spend hours doing amazing yeah. work with. And then you can and only can earn, sell them, but not for not for real money, for Just Forza for, money, for, for, yeah, in game uh, Forza money. And so that was like this is something that they talked about as something like you'll be able to do this on the Xbox, uh, Xbox Marketplace. And so they were thinking about this eight years ago, and then eight. Years later, Valve kind of beats them to it, and so it's kind of like, well, and it's really successful, like it's going very right. well. Right, but part of that I think is also the market you are targeting. Sure, you know what I mean. The Xbox, you know, the Xbox and the PlayStation, a console uh, fan base is a little bit more general and more spread out. Whereas a PC gaming, you make the commitment to buying a PC rig, yeah. you are a hardcore gamer, and you're totally down to get on there and sell things and do this. And do I don't that. know if that's true because everybody has. A PC, and it's so easy. You know, anyone could just download Steam, and then you've got. But there's so many games that just can't. I mean, you can't match the specs on it. Anyone can play Bejeweled, I know. Yes, (laughs) but there are like there's a list of like there's people that have you know Chromebooks and other computers of this nature that aren't very powerful. Um, You know, or a netbook computer, for example, that you can play FTL. You know, you can play like there's a list of games that are on Steam that you can play. Sure, and I get that, but again, I don't think the general market is going. Oh, FTL. Yes, I've heard of this. I want to jump right on this. Yeah. I think it's a very, very complex problem, and so like there's what's an, the problem? I mean, when you're dealing, anytime you're dealing with real money, like that's a big deal. Like that's very complicated. Y- your system has to be more secure, you know, sure. because people can. Like I have, I don't know how much money's worth of stuff in my Steam account that if I were hacked, I've lost like monetary value now that you know I didn't lose before. People are also making money. I think if you sell a certain amount of stuff on the t- Steam store. They need your social social security number because that's income. Right. The tax man will come yeah, after you. Like I think that's true. And I think W two. I think that's, that's right. a headache that Sony and Microsoft just aren't interested in dealing with. Right. But okay, so it doesn't even have to go that far. It doesn't have to be people can make real money, right? Sure. I just like the uh, the incentive of play a game a lot, unlock some stuff. Sure. If you're not into yep. it, trade it for other people for other in-game items. You know. Right. What I really like about this most is that it's a player-to-player economy, and that's the big difference. Some people are like, "What's the big deal? You can buy you know these backgrounds and this, and you can buy backgrounds on Sony." But the difference is it's Sony selling you those backgrounds, mm-hmm. and here it's one user saying, "I have this thing. Does anybody want it?" And then it lets the market decide what the it should Craig's be worth. list of yeah <laughs> of digital marketplace. And then Steam takes five uh, percent. Off the top, they just take five percent of the purchase price for themselves, and they give ten percent back. As if Valve doesn't have enough money already. <laughs> it's so brilliant from a business standpoint. It's insane. You you projected like how much two K could make just from Borderlands Two, right? Yeah, I don't remember the math offhand. I use Borderlands Two as my example game just because I'm playing it right now, and you know that it's popular on Steam. But it's something like they're making, I think it's like $90 a day, roughly, off of goods. And it works out to something like, you know, 300 and some thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Just off Borderlands 2 virtual trading guards. That might be like 30, no, 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 excuse me, drop a zero off. Okay. There. Jesus, I'm glad I figured that out. It's about 30-some thousand dollars a year. But still, still that's, that's just like ex- an extra $30,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's one game. Yeah. That could be a, a whole, like... Fun budget for yep. your team. That okay, sure. we're gonna just take that money and take Here's the, our holiday party to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. That's what. That's why 
like this system is a win for everybody. It's a win for the developer because it's a new source of not a huge amount of money, but they're going to make a little bit more but money off money. their game than they used to. <laughs> and for someone's like 2K, maybe they don't care. But if you're an indie developer and you're already only selling your game on Steam, like these games on Steam that are just like three bucks or four sure. bucks. Mm -hmm. So now, like if you're able to make a few more cents off each user, like that's a pretty big chunk of change. So it's a new, more money for developers, more money for Valve. Valve is giving things people that the other console makers are selling to people. And if you're a user that just doesn't care about any of that stuff, you can just sell the goods. Like, so what are the odds that Sony and Microsoft adopt something like this? 50-50. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where uh, it, it's, it won't be anytime soon, because specifically, I think, in probably both of their cases, Microsoft and Sony, they're so wrapped up in just trying to get these consoles done. And, <laughs> There's and, so many and, other problems yeah, right not now. Just, not, just the, not even the hardware. I'm talking about like the, the operating systems right, on the right. software side. That they, they might come back to this in a year and go, you remember that Valve thing from a year ago? How's that go? Oh, it's still going. All right, let's look into that for next year's. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. wait a couple of years. And don't forget, too, it's all about the, the that specific audience. Even though if this takes off on Steam, if you don't see a drop, a decline in people buying Avatar items and people buying these horrible PlayStation Network wallpapers, <laughs> sure. then what's the, what's the, why would they even care? Remember we, about it. we did a video, I guess, last year. Remember that Battlefield 3 wall? That you could buy for your avatar. It was just a wall yeah, was like that a, your like avatar yeah. would duck behind to like hide from cover. And like. I, we make fun of this all the time. And then I get on there, I'm like, oh, a new Superman shirt, yeah. <laughs> and then I oh, buy that a dancing Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> yes, I bought all of this. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so a dancing Stay Puft Stay Marshmallow Man seems a lot cooler than a Turbo T-shirt, right? Like, sure. There's, sure. There's, there's varying little things that, yeah, like yeah. okay, that's me. That's what yeah. I want. The reality here is that you know I'm. It's super easy to sit here as you know an IGN editor and say Microsoft and Sony, you're behind. You got to get on the ball. But the reality is. Anything that deals with real money is incredibly complex and complicated, and that's a business that they're not in right now. They would need to hire new people with new expertise on right, how right. you know player-to-player, peer-to-peer marketplaces work, and how to keep it legal. And also, like, something to keep in mind too is besides just the trying to get their software done, Microsoft and Sony are. A friend of mine put it to me well. They they move like tanks. Very. <laughs> Slowly, whereas yeah. Steam is a much, you know, Valve is a much more nimble, agile yeah. company that can yeah. be like, all right, let's try this out and see how it goes. Whereas Microsoft and Sony, it has to go through seven thousand people first and all sorts of different hoops and and measures first. Sure. I mean, I think we're getting close to. I would not be surprised. Team Fortress Two is already like this, and and Dota Two is like this. So Valve is a company now where they give their games away for free. Both those games are free, and they're not like sort of free in a bullshit way. Like they're genuinely free. <laughs> Um, and then they make their money off the sale of these virtual goods. Well, that's, that's like we were talking the other day. Isn't it like the wild success of things like this that are the reason why we still don't have Half-Life 3? Yeah. Like, they, just, they don't need to, right? <laughs> they don't need to. They're so, like... And I want to make a clear distinction between, you know, they're not selling people Dota 2 items. People are selling Dota 2 items to other people. And then they're making 5% off the top of, like, all of that. You know, you'll get some rare drop in Dota 2. You sell it to somebody for 50 bucks, and Valve makes... What, a dollar? How does 5% like, work? Yeah. <laughs> What's 5%? $2.50. $2.50, thank you. But, uh, Blizzard does it with Diablo, the Diablo 3 auction, auction house, yeah. yeah. But that's a $60 game. Like, that's the difference yeah. between them and Valve, I see. Very interesting. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, stay tuned for more from IGN GameScoop.
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to IGN Game Scoop. I'm your host, Damon Hadfield. I'm joined now by Justin Davis. Scoop! Ryan McCaffrey. Top of the morning. Colin Moriarty. Beyond. And we're talking about the first consoles we ever bought with our own money. Mm. We're all lifelong gamers. Mm. We've probably had most <clears throat> of the consoles, you know, except for a Virtual Boy here, a Saturn there. <laughs> Jaguar. Uh, yeah, I had a Jaguar. <laughs> oh, of course you did. One, <laughs> one good game ever, Aliens vs. Predator. Tempest 2000. Yeah. There's a, right. a couple on there. It's not like a 3DO. Like, what are you going to play in a yeah. 3DO? That's true. Road Rash. <laughs> first console I ever had was my, my uh, hand-me-down Atari 2600 from my uncle, you know. But the first console I ever bought with my own money was the PlayStation, the PSX. I was in college. Uh, I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I got it from Funkaland. Mm. Remember Funkaland? Of course. Yeah. Or like defunct land. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna. They were bought that. by e, they were bought by EB, right? And then, and then Electronics Boutique. Yeah, then EB was bought by GameStop, right? Wasn't that yeah. the way it was? Uh, yeah. yeah. And then where does KB Toys fit into that? Uh, KB Toys even still around? No, there, no one knows. Baggages folded in there at some yeah. some point yeah, along the way. Baggages. Software, etc. Mm-hmm. I got it from Funkaland, and uh, I got a refurbished one, which didn't end up working out. But like, uh, I got like Tomb Raider and uh, Final Fantasy VII. And the full motion video like wouldn't like stream from the disc properly. Really, it'd be all stuttery, and I I was like, what? What's going on? I was like so excited to like you know check out this new generation of gaming. So I'd I'd had a Nintendo sixty four, but like it couldn't stream that video the way you know a disc based system could. Effing things suck. Yeah, right. (laughs) Totally. So I ended up taking back and buying a new one, and that taught me a, a valuable lesson. I've never bought a used. You know, secondhand console. Yeah, you don't want to go down. I don't buy used games. I, I just I like to just buy new stuff. Mm. It's worth it's worth the premium pi- price. Yeah. Justin, how about you? So I'm actually very late. So my parents uh, weren't together. They were they separated when I was really young. And so since I had so many Christmases, I was extremely strategic about how mm. I I had one grandma that would basically buy what you asked for. So I would ask her for the console. Right. Then I would ask like my dad You're for the conniving for the little child. And I spread all, and I'm like, you need a second controller. You got like a diagram planned out of like. <laughs> yeah. And who so, to ask and when. And this is what I did for like for years, all growing up and then Christmas. And then it was a double whammy because my birthday is in early February, which is just far enough away that like that was my fallback. Like if something went catastrophically wrong <laughs> and like someone didn't get me the memory card I asked for. And be like, well, I'm only a month away from being able to go get to that. Plan B. Yeah, <laughs> February birthday. Birthday was the Plan B, and so as a result, the first console that I bought, I wasn't until you know, I was really old. Like I might have even have been out of school. Um, so which one was it? So, well, I know for a fact I bought a Wii with cash, um, and I was driving. I didn't do a, I didn't do a midnight launch. I was in college, like I was out of college already. Okay. So, I mean, like I said, I, all through high school, this is what I did. I schemed. Um, <laughs> It's so like a PlayStation 2. You had a PlayStation 2, right? Yeah. It was a gift, a Christmas gift? Yeah, I think I was like, I, what year did that come out? 90, 2000? 2000. 2000. Yeah, so I would have been 16. Oh, yeah, 15, 16. Forget how I know, I know, I know. young you guys Did you are. get the grandma hookup on that one? Yeah, I did. So yeah, now that you and I are adults, obviously, we hang out and we're buds. But at the time, mm-hmm. at the time that I was 16, you were, you were older. Yeah. yeah. I was older than 16. <laughs> so when I bought my Wii, um, I didn't go to a midnight launch. I went to a Target at like 5 in the morning or whatever. It was earlier than that because the Target was going to open early and it was that deal. And so I, yep. I was in the car at like 4.30 in the morning driving this Target. First of all, I get pulled over. This cop's like, what are you doing? And I had to explain. What? Like there's a curfew? Like you can't be out at 4.30 Well, in the I think he was just questioning. Speeding? He wanted to make sure I wasn't like going home from some party or something. Some kid, you know, driving. And I had to explain, no, I'm going to this <laughs> Officer, video. Officer, I'm going to buy yeah. a wee. <laughs> And I, Did you say weed, son? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get out of the car. 
two things about this. First of all, I put my car window down to talk to the cop, and it wouldn't go back up because I had this old beater car. So it was freezing. It was winter, in winter, in winter in Iowa. Oh and so that happened. My car window wouldn't go up as a result of this trip. The second thing was they're handing out vouchers for all these people waiting in line. I get the final one. I get like the 38th of the 38 Wii's. There's a little kid and his mom in line behind me. He's like seven. Suck it, Junior. Yeah. And the mom's like, oh, sorry, I guess we're not going to be able to. And like, part of me is like, should I turn around and give this kid my voucher? I barely even care. Then I was like, <laughs> then I said, nah. Yeah. They were so rare, you made the right choice. And so fun. that was, I was well into my adulthood before I bought a console with my right. own money. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Well, all right. It, this wasn't my own money that I per se earned, but it became my money. So I'm <laughs> counting this. It was my first system, which was the original Nintendo Entertainment System, 8 bit style. Uh, if any of you out there grew up in a Catholic family, you know that First Communion is a big deal. That's like yeah. your first big milestone in Catholic okay. life. It's Mad Bank. It is. And so, you know, in a Catholic family with lots of aunts and uncles, my mother was one of seven kids, so there were <laughs> lots of aunts and uncles, the cash just flows in, when, relatively speaking. Sure. I mean, I think at that point... It was whatever. It was it was enough to get a Nintendo, which was you were was a hundred hundred thirty dollars. You know, it felt like hundred and thirty dollars. Well, no, I'm, I'm asking how much was the original Nintendo? It was really cheap. Right. I thought it was like two hundred bucks when it came out. Yeah. That's a great yeah. question. Yeah. I That's no like two hundred. Nineteen eighty five. Yeah. It was like two two or two fifty maybe. Well, this was for me. This was eighty eight eighty nine when I got it. But um, yeah, whatever. However much it was, it was enough to get a Nintendo. You know that I'd played at friends' houses and stuff, and so yeah, that's where I was able to dive in and. Uh, and get my NES. What did you, you get with your NES? Well, I'm pretty sure just the just the Mario Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo cart pack in. But so you didn't have Rob the Robot. No, never had a Rob. Never had a Power Glove. I missed out well, on the totally cheesy '80s tastic yeah. uh, peripherals. Yeah. But you know, I remember going to buy uh, the the first Legend of Zelda gold cartridge, blowing my mind. Not yeah. too long after that, and um, Kid Icarus was a huge no, favorite of mine awesome. in the Kid early days, awesome. but. But yeah, that was uh, I was able to to cash in my just basically having to you know walk down a church aisle and say some stuff and turn that into yeah. a Nintendo. So yeah, you're not really too concerned about the religious <laughs> significance of like what you're going through. You're just like yes. Did you did your NES come in that like huge box where it's like nestled in the styrofoam? Well, like, I, that. I don't recall. I mean, it's, you know, part of the reason the original box was so big was because of Rob the Robot. Once yeah. they removed that, it probably didn't. Yeah, really it, 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 like I did size. not have the Rob the Robot. I Ours was still huge because it had the blasters, the Duck Hunt mm. blasters. Yours I had those. Did, no, no, yeah. yeah, I had you had you sure. had the light gun. Uh, maybe one I thought it was one light. Yeah, gun. I think it's just one. One light gun. On it's box. also crazy that like you, I got my NES like in '89, or our family got one at that time too, and it's like the NES had been out like. Four years by that point, but like, it hadn't caught fire until you know it took a couple, yeah. a year or two, right? Before I mean, it's it really... just different. Like those innocent times, you're like a dumb kid and you don't know that like you're buying something that's like years old. Like now, everyone knows. Like, oh, the 360 is old. Like... <laughs> yeah, no, my my eight year old nephew yeah. like still wants a DS, like a regular DS. He doesn't know. Yeah, he has no. I idea wish I were that blissfully <laughs> ignorant again. That'd be fun. Colin. Um, so my brother was older than me. He's 12 years older than me, and he as people know. Well, you know that I've been talking about this for a long time. Like he's the reason I play games and and got me in the game. So he took care of the NES and the SNES, and we we would share those when we were we were younger. Um, and then I eventually got my own SNES from my parents. And then uh, the tra this is a tragic story that I and oh, I wrote really? about it in our. Oh, we're gonna bring, bring down yeah. the scoop. Okay. Um, I'll get my Kleenex ready to cry into. When when play when Final Fantasy VII was revealed on PS One, I was like I have to have this game because I was I was a huge JRPG nerd on and SNES, and I think SNES has. 
are a really wonderful library of, of, of JRPGs. And I, the NES itself, the original NES, is still my favorite console of all time by, by a mile. Dragon so, Warrior, oh, Faxanadu. is awesome. Go down yeah. the list. The original Final Fantasy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great games on, on NES. And then SNES, of course, had Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI and Secret of Mana and Secret of Evermore mm -hmm. and, uh, you know... Uh, uh, what was the seventh saga and all these yeah. act razor like Fire, friggin', yeah, yeah freaking million uh, great JRPGs, and, but I had this I was like twelve or thirteen when when Final Fantasy VII was announced and I was like I have to have a PlayStation I have to have a PlayStation and and I have to have this game so the summer of '97 I went to I took all my SNES games oh no I went to EB this is sad yeah. oh. this is really sad yeah. I went to EB and sold. Every one of my SNES games. Oh my god! I, I remember I got. I remember like like it was yesterday. I got seventeen dollars for Final Fantasy three. I remember that. That's um, pretty which good. Is, which is which well, is like it's, like that's like one of the game at the time. That, yeah, and that's like one of the most valuable like games like working with a battery and stuff today. Um, you know, I sold Secret of Mana. I sold Chrono Trigger. I sold like obviously Mario World and all the the platformers I had. Um, and I ended up getting like quite a bit of money, like four hundred dollars probably for all of it. So I, I bought a PS one. I pre ordered Final Fantasy seven, and then later I used the cash to get Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Um, Castlevania Symphony Night, of course, is like one of the best games of all time. So, so it all worked out. But it, it, like, when, in reflecting back, I didn't know I needed a memory card either. This is the other thing I was well, really yeah. funny. <laughs> I, 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 think this is, I think this is a common. It doesn't save your game to the disc. Like this was a common problem I think back in the day because I got home and I was like, uh, I had, I didn't have Final Fantasy VII yet. I had like the jam pack thing that came yeah, with it. Oh yeah, yeah. There was like some things you can do. Like it is like there's no, it does not reading a memory card. And I was like. The hell is a memory card? Yeah. You know, like no one even told me about this at, at the store, so I had to like use some of the money to get a memory card, and then it all worked out in the end. PlayStation is, you know, I think has an even better roster of JRPGs than SNES. So I think actually by a mile. The original so, PlayStation. Yeah, yeah. Wild Arms, Tales of Destiny, all the Final Fantasy games, Dragon Warrior Seven, like Breath of Fire Three, like like Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, tactics, of course. Tactics Ogre. There's like a million great PlayStation RPGs, and so it worked out. But like, when I think about that, I still kind of cringe inside. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. Like, I, what was I? Like, what was I doing? And but did you it, buy the games back? No, no. You know, I remember you, going. You still don't own them. Uh, no, I don't. I don't no, I, yeah, I have a similar story. I, I I ended up owning just about every console in, in the 16-bit, 32-bit era. But it was, you know, I, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We were just standard middle class, and I would have to sell or trade in each console and games to get the next one. Like yeah. I, at one point I said, oh, I want a Super NES. Well, I had to, I had to trade in what I had, which I went from, from uh, the original Nintendo to actually TurboGrafx-16, <laughs> yep. and then to Sega Genesis, and then to Super NES. Uh, but each time, like I only ever had one system at a time. And really? so, yeah, I, same thing where I had to, I, I wish I still had my Nintendo and I and my and all those systems really, but I don't have any of them. Anymore. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the thing. Like in, in high school, when I started to become more self aware about like what I had done and like really getting into like I, my 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 roots were always like classic gaming, like I, you know, and I still had my NES collection and all that kind of stuff. I started to go back on eBay. I worked at a deli and like made you know six dollars an hour, or whatever. And I'd go on eBay and I was like, I'm gonna buy this Genesis game. I'm gonna buy these Super Nintendo games. I'm gonna buy sure. you know like and like I I kind of restocked my old my collection of games over time, but like it ended up. Costing me more money because I was also yeah. buy, I also had to buy new PlayStation games like and when PS2 came out yeah you guys remember when PS I don't know if you guys remember this when PS2 came out you, the only way it, the, the demand was so high for it the only way you can get it at least where I was from was you had a unless you pre-ordered it was you had to go into the store you had to buy a five hundred dollar PS2 oh, which yeah, was a forced oh. bundle yeah it was like a forced bundle it was yeah. like you had to buy the PS2 a warranty a controller mm -hmm. a memory card like and a game yeah. Package. yeah and that was the only way they would sell you a PS2. Yeah. Like and and I for that I made a deal with my mom where I was like uh, my birthday's in October and I'm like and that's when the system came out around there so I was like I want a PS2 
uh, it'll be my birthday present and my Christmas present. Ooh. And she was like, We've all oh, done that. Yeah, and she was like, okay, okay, that's a little unusual, but, that's okay. <laughs> but we'll, we'll make it happen. And I bought like Phantavision or something with well, the, 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 the last PS2. Night, it was so terrible. It was awful. It was awful. Summoner. It was, you had to wait like a good year until yeah. you got started getting. But you had that DVD player. You, you did have the DVD player, player. yeah. That was excellent. Thank you for sharing, gentlemen. It was fun. Viewers, if you have a good story about the first console you ever bought, share it in the comments. Let me know on Twitter and stay tuned for more talks here at IGN Gamescoop. Definitely. Cool. The real 3DO system from Panasonic. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to IGN GameScoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. I'm joined now by Ryan McCaffrey, Hello. Justin Davis, Scoop. Dan Stapleton, Yo. and Justin. You must be pretty pleased with yourself. Uh, no, number one article on IGN this week. You know, viewers, we're a digital media company. Traffic is our currency. We do play, pay very close attention to the traffic our articles receive. There's some friendly competition between editors. You know. Dan's fired. <laughs> <laughs> the lowest traffic story of the week. Probably not. Uh, it's like the Hunger Games, but for traffic. <laughs> this week it was uh, Justin as the winner with his article, Why Core Gamers Hate Free to play. That's not what our website looks like. This is uh, not like this. This is the mobile version does. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. right. You should have drawn a, an A plus on that. <laughs> right. yeah. He gets a star, a gold yeah. star. Put on it up one. on the fridge. You open your article here, Justin, with the question: What if Borderlands Two was the exact same game as it is today, but it was free? Can you explain a little bit more about what you're saying? Sure. So that's what this started as. I've been playing a lot of Borderlands Two, and. Uh, that's where the papers go. Yeah. Um, I've been playing a lot of Borderlands 2, and I just wanted an excuse to write about it. And I've been thinking about free-to-play, and I'm like, well, what if it was free? What would it be like? And I thought about an economy like in a game like Diablo 3. Like, what if the game was free? You didn't have to pay for expansions. You didn't have to pay for characters. But instead, you could just buy and sell Iridium and guns with other players, and then 2K would take a cut. And what's interesting about this op-ed is I changed my own mind. <laughs> You're that That's good. How You're good you that are. good. When I started writing it, the first draft of this article was about how awesome that would be and how gamers that didn't like it were silly and kind of wrong. But then I thought about it some more and was writing my counterpoints. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going nice. to go back and make some revisions right. and come at this the other direction. You know what? Um, other Justin, you have a point. So what it boiled down to, to me, exactly, other Justin had a point, was even if Borderlands 2 is the same game and it was free, you could ignore all the freemium stuff. Like intellectually, logically, that's awesome, right? You get a $60 game for free, but people wouldn't be able to trust, it just wouldn't feel the same. People would always be worried about drop rates, they would feel like they were being manipulated, they would feel like 2K or Gearbox were pulling levers to try to like maximize the amount of money that they made. So do you feel like you are against, would you say you're against free-to-play games? Yeah, I mean, and I, the other caveat I want to make is that the headline, why core gamers hate free-to-play, is just because you can't have a headline that says, with exceptions, like games like Dota 2 and Team <laughs> Fortress 2, it's like, obviously this is a complicated, complex, nuanced issue. And in a headline, I, that is my thesis statement, that most free-to-play games are, are bad for the core gamer. And I do believe that, yeah. So let's first establish how Ryan and Dan feel about free-to-play games. I, you know, I just, I, I will admit, they, there's no upfront cost, and yet I am wary of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, Tribes 2, is, is, or tri sorry, uh, Tribes... Yes, the, the latest one is just like, I know I would like this, but I feel like I'm there's there's that I'm just gonna I'm a fish just swimming in the pond, and I'm just gonna inevitably hit that hook at some point, and they're gonna get me, and then I'm gonna be 
penniless. But then you <laughs> don't know you don't know how much you're on the hook for. That's right. part of the problem. Like a sixty dollar transaction is an honest transaction with people. Say, look, I'm going to give you money. You're going to give me a good. And now we're square. Take, yeah. Then we can. <laughs> yeah. That's it. What about you, Dan? I mean, I think like like anything else, it can be done well. It can be done. It can be done poorly. Uh, I think Valve right now is absolutely kicking ass and how to how to do it well. Uh, and their Valve is in, a, in an extraordinary position where it it can put these games out there and not expect to make just a ton of money off of them. They're creating a giant community and then kind of naturally monetizing that by by putting out a great game that people want to play all the time, and and then just letting them pay for. And basically, merchandising is yeah. what what it ends up being because it's just like extras, hats. Um, yeah, ha- hats. And, so, and, is that kind of what Angry Birds is like? Yeah, for know, sure. You download those games for free, right? And then, but there's so much Angry Birds merchandising out there. Well, it started. Those as, are commercials for the toys, right? Yeah, the games were a dollar, and they were even more on iPad. But now, I don't think we're going to see a paid Angry Birds game anymore. I think they're all going to be free because they want that game into as many people's hands as they can, and then they're going to sell them toys and mm-hmm. T-shirts and backpacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here, Damon. <laughs> I wrote the article, Why Gamers Hate Free-to-Play, but in Free-to-Play's defense, there are certain things that it does better than paid games. Dan's absolutely right, especially if it's done by a company that has really earned a lot of trust from the player There's only one of those companies <laughs> anymore, though. Yeah, Valve's I mean, really one of the only ones left. There, yeah, there are like, plenty of, well, yes, they're, they're, that's, they have the kind of a sterling reputation. Yeah. Uh, and almost, I mean, they had a bad reputation for a sure. while when, when Steam started up. But anyway, yeah. um, the, there are you know, other companies that are doing it well. I think, I think Sony, is doing a spe- uh, Sony Online is doing a spectacular job with Planetside 2. Uh, you could, Riot is doing really good things with, mm. with League of Legends, even though it's not... Neither of those games are, are the same kind of totally free uh, uh, kind of thing as, as uh, Valve is doing. Uh, you have, um, and now I'm blanking on the name of the, the Diablo competitor. Uh, Path of Exile. Path of Exile, oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is another one that's, that does a very generous free-to-play model. So here's the thing. Free-to-play works really well in a game where you need, or it's, the quality of the game is determined by sort of the quality of the player base. Um, well, the quality of the player base in MOBAs is very low, but you need a lot of people playing those games. So if you're going to have a MMO, if you're going to have a MOBA, if you're going to have a first-person shooter um, on PC, it's very, very hard to release those. If you're not Call of Duty, to release those as a paid mm-hmm. download. They almost have to be free just because they're frictionless. You can get people in the door, say, hey, man, I'm digging this game. Download it, play it. They don't need to spend 30 bucks. You know, They can just jump in and play. And so that's one thing that free-to-play does do better, but I don't think that cancels out all the negatives. Yeah. But you know, on, 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 your, on your point, I'm still, I'm still on the side of original Justin as, as far as Borderlands 2 goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because Borderlands 2 in particular, and, and any co-op-centric game, I think can work really well as a free-to-play game because there, it can't be pay-to-win if you're not fighting against other players. Did you read the article? I did, yes. Okay. So... Go ahead. The big problem, it all boils down to trust. It boils down to player trust. If Borderlands 2 were the same game, but free, and then they made money off you know, people buying and selling Iridium, if you didn't get any Iridium for a while, how long would that have to happen before you started to You were doubt? feeling cheated? Like, you said, I don't know, I don't know if I can trust it, they're just trying to push me to the store. Even if they didn't change the Iridium drop rate, the idea has been put in your head by <laughs> the game's business model. So it doesn't matter that it is friendly, it's... The nature of the transaction has now put the idea in your head. Now you're thinking about money when you're playing the game. Right. And no one wants to be thinking about money when they're playing it. Yeah. Granted, and, and that, that is always a big problem. Also kind of the, the collector mentality, yeah. or the completionist mentality, yep. where like, you have to have everything. There, there are a lot of people who just have to have everything, or, or the game is worthless. It's an incomplete game, uh, unless I have everything that 
ever has been made for it or ever will be made for it included in the sticker price. Sure. Um, and like, th there's going to be no pleasing those kind of people with a free-to-play game. And we play games to forget about our money problems. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> right? sure. There, so, it's, it's escapist entertainment. It is. Yeah, I mean, it feels gross. It feels gross to be equating real money to fake goods in a game on a regular basis. You yeah. Know, if that's what the game experience becomes. They always say, develop developers of free-to-play games always say, you can play through the entire game without <laughs> spending a dime. Right? Yeah. So, but at the cost of your time. Right. So they, 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 make, the thing, yeah. they make the argument that they're, selling, they're not selling power, they're selling convenience. They're speeding yeah. you through it. But the problem with that argument is by definition, in order to sell convenience, there must be an inconvenience. Exactly. So that they themselves created. Exactly. Like they determined what the leveling up rate was going to be, what the drop rate was going to be. Like you can grind for this item if you want. And I'm like, but you're the ones that set the drop rate at 0.1%. Yep. So it's like we can't trust you anymore. Like that trust between the developer and the player, between the player and the game balance is gone. Yeah, and so like they're, they're designing a game that isn't as well designed as a game that you just pay right. up front for, right? And then the other thing, like, so for, uh, Plants vs. Zombies 2 yeah. is coming out here soon. It's already getting great reviews, right? It's supposed yeah, to be a very from us. good game. You know, that's, the first game is... Thanks, is, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> first game is universally beloved. Uh, I want to play that game a lot. It's like, I wish that, why can't there just be an option? Like, it's a free-to-play game. Why isn't there also an option just buy a $15 version and have everything? Right. I think it's because... If you add up all those microtransactions, it's a lot more than $15. Well, so they stand to make a lot more be. money. Eventually it will be, yes. Yeah. But with, with Plants vs. Zombies 2, I think there's $15 total worth at launch, but they will add on to that. But there's more like there's some consumable stuff, like consumable power right, the consumable that you stuff. can... Um, I do agree. Again, another benefit of free-to-play is it lets you operate a game as a service. Like if you were to just sell people $20 Plants vs. Zombies 2, that's it. But if that's a game that they want people playing for months and years down the line, and look, you've gotten a lot of fun out of it, we want you to keep playing it, now pay $5 to get this more stuff, $5 to get this more stuff. That's a, a model that really makes more sense with It's just the old Razor Razor Blades yep, theory. Yep, that's exactly and right. It applied to video gaming. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, ink, ink cartridges and printers. Yep. Yeah. But at, at the same time, I mean, that, that is the dark side of it. On the, on the other side of it, you are getting a lot of entertainment for free, and in, in games yep. that do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, Damon, since you bring out the, uh, the, uh, you know, the package deal, and Tribes Ascend actually does do that. Uh, they have they have a package cool. you can so buy. That, I like that. Yeah, I'm in for that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not unheard of. People are are experimenting with that. I think so. You know, universally in the comments, people are like, "Well, I'm super cool with things being sold that are just cosmetic items. I give my character a big blue hat, and just so he stands out from the crowd, I'll pay. Some people will be willing to pay a dollar for that. But I feel like that's that's gamers saying just they don't want developers to have anything more than scraps, like. <laughs> I don't know, like maybe it works for Path of Exile, like if you work really, really hard to get the community on your side, you're a company like Valve that makes billions of dollars on Steam anyway, you can get away with just selling cosmetics. But like, think about that from a developer's standpoint, like is that what they want to go to from selling $60 box goods to begging 1% of your players to pay money for a blue hat? Like, uh, it, it does seem to work out for them. Yeah, if it adds up, then sure. I mean, yeah. like it, it just depends on how, how aggressive they want to be, and oftentimes it depends on how pushy their investors are being, what kind of what kind of return they want to see right away. Yeah. If they're willing to to kind of you know take the Valve approach and let the, let the community build up and let people be uh, be evangelists for the game, or whether you're just trying trying to wring what you I mean, can out is, of it. Is it really any better or worse than the model we've seen this console generation with DLC after paid DLC after paid DLC? Borderlands Two itself being a perfect example yeah. of, gosh, there have been. It's about $90 Six, worth of DLC. Like maybe, is it up, up to five or yeah. six 
DLCs for oh, that game. Although or, Borderlands 2 is, is a model of how to do it right, in, the, in that those that DLC is is big, meaty chunks of yes. kind of expansionist content. Whereas if you look at something like except for the paying for level right, 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 but generally speaking, I agree. But right. yeah, you could have yeah, you can have you can probably have spent a hundred or more dollars on Easily. on Borderlands 2. So but far. at the same time, if you bought like in, in the old over hundred dollars, that's yeah. true. In the in the true. the old school model, or at least in PC gaming, was was to sell the the fifty dollar game and then a thirty dollar expansion sure. adjusted for inflation. That's that's roughly the, the same, same thing. Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of the same kind of the same thing as long as it's done well. Like, it, yeah. but I mean, if you're if you're just selling things piecemeal, like here's a gun, here's a here's a skin, here's a whatever. Then Gamers, like it starts yeah. to feel it, it starts to feel like the game that they sold you is anemic just because because there is so much stuff sure. in addition to that it's like it, but it doesn't feel that way like that's the reality like right. the thing about core gamers is that they're for the most part a smart savvy plugged in audience that's really hard to fool um, you know they're reading IGN they're reading other game websites and so it's easy for them to do the math it's easy for them to say look I used to get let me back up so the problem here is a sixty dollar game is a sixty dollar game so. If you buy Call of Duty for 60 bucks and play it for five hours really casually, or if you buy Call of Duty and play it 500 hours yeah. really hardcore, that's a $60 transaction for both people. And that sets off alarm bells at Activision, right? Like, that's a problem for them. Like, they need to find a way to extract more money. You know, yeah. or their shareholders believe they need to find a way to extract more money from those people. They tried with uh, Call of Duty yeah. Elite, oh, and then quickly before they before it even launched, they yeah. went, "Oh wait, this is a bad yeah. idea." But abort, had, abort. But they also have fifteen dollar map packs for that game. Yeah, but we've so we've been core gamers have had it's been an all you can eat model since the beginning of video games. You buy a video game and you can play that game for as much as you want. And so now we're moving to a model. There are exceptions, but generally speaking, free to play means pay more to play more. Mm. Like you said, gamers tend to be a well-informed, you know, smart group, but they also tend to like be very resistant to change. They can be stubborn. But the change is bad for them. Like the change benefits casual gamers that maybe just want to play a little bit of Call of Duty, so they'll play for free or transact for five bucks. But it punishes the hardcore player that you know used to spend sixty bucks and could play an unlimited amount. Yeah. And most free-to-play games, even the really generous ones, you know, at some point you have to pull the lever and pay up. So if this if this statement is true. If core gamers hate free-to-play games and the industry is moving to free-to-play, what does that mean? Are gamers going to hate games? Well, I, know, I think obviously, it, it, like the, the the statement doesn't really hold up because if gamers, core gamers as a whole, hated free-to-play as a, on, on principle, you would not have League of Legends, you would not have yeah, Dota two, you would not have. PlayStation Four is launching with more than one free-to-play game at launch. Right. So, it, like again, I, I think it can be done well. G- gamers hate free-to-play done poorly, and they and you know, like, like you said, like. You know, the, the, the argument that making you think about money while you're playing a game is a bad thing. Yes. I mean, we're not even talking about... The thing I want to stress is my op-ed, my opinion article, and also it was an opinion article. People are like, this is bad journalism. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> your, <laughs> your opinion is wrong? Yeah. Um, uh. My opinion article didn't even really touch on games that are pay-to-win or any of the games that, you know, the free-to-play elements unbalance the game because that's obvious. Like, there's nothing to say. Obviously, that stuff all sucks. Right? Like, the companies make a lot of money off casual gamers selling it, but that's not an interesting conversation to have. What was interesting is, even if the game is balanced right in a reasonable way, often the free-to-play stuff still doesn't feel good because it makes you think about money while you're playing the game. So, in a way, like developers kind of can't win if they're selling anything that remotely impacts gameplay. You make a lot of sense with beer in you. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) I need need help wrapping this up, Justin. Where does your article leave off? Like, where Where does this leave us? Do we learn anything from this? 
No. <laughs> Thanks um, for tuning in, everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of dark, right? Like, it's... Can, can, can both models coexist? Yeah. So, for a while. For a while, at least. Free-to-play isn't inherently evil just because there are bad free-to-play games. Just like the $60 model isn't inherently evil just because there's bad $60 games. Mm. If you bought a really shitty $60 game, you wouldn't say, oh, man, that's terrible paying $60 for a game. So you can't judge free-to-play just because there are scummy games out there. Um, People just need to be more informed. By visiting places like IGN. That's true. For example. Coincidentally. Thanks a lot, guys. Stay tuned for more from IGN GameScoop. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.